1: self-feel alienated, then it's almost like saying, well, that's okay to alienate yourself, but not other people. And I don't buy that. I've spent most of my life trying to get rid of that mentality. And I know you don't either. And uh, I just wanted to say that don't ever exclude yourself when you're trying not to exclude anybody you exclude yourself, you're also excluding all the people like you and all the people that think and feel like you. And I think you keep uh, learning every day. There's more and more of us freak
0: Everybody, happy Sunday evening or whenever you happen to listen to this episode. Happy 2021, whatever that means. I'm definitely not one of those people that really pays all that much attention to new calendar years. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm a weird person. I sort of like getting older and like growing and like experiencing new things. So I'm glad to be continuing to do that. I'm glad I'm able to continue doing that in this new year. I'm glad I still have this podcast in 2021 and all of you lovely people listening. Um, very excited to bring you today's conversation with Lenore Black. It is always so refreshing and so nice to connect with people that are like-minded. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this conversation and I hope you do too. It's, um, yeah, it's just a relief. I don't know what other word to use but refreshing, but that's how it feels. I think after so many years of assuming that, like, I was the only weird, fucking bizarre, you know, alien black sheet person in the world, uh, now having this podcast, I've met so many of you. And uh, that's just been really great and really refreshing for the 20th time. Um, That little thing you heard at the beginning of the episode was a message that my dear friend, Mary, left me. Um, And I felt like it tied in so nicely to what I've been discussing on the podcast in the past few weeks, and also what Lenore and I speak about in this conversation. Uh, Mary always has a way of making me feel a lot better when I'm freaking out about something, and (laughs) this message was no different. Um, And so I wanted to share her wisdom with all of you. Uh, The song that was playing in the background is called tales of africa by saib and by the way because i always forget to mention this if you enjoy the music that i play on the podcast i do have a spotify playlist uh it's called a millennial's guide to saving the world so you might see that pop up in search results alongside the actual podcast on spotify um but i've put every song i've ever played on the podcast in there so feel free to check that out on spotify and uh, follow along if you'd like before I get into today's conversation, I wanted to mention a few things. First of all, there are only a couple more days to sign up for my Patreon account, which you can find at patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. Um, in addition to everything that we normally have on there, so um, I offer exclusive playlists more than just the podcast one, t-shirts, stickers, uh, we have exclusive whatsapp group chats we're at fo- uh, number four right now really fucking obsessed with the people in number four one of them has baby goats so she's sending pictures of baby goats like all the time and it's just makes me so happy to open my phone and see that my listeners are sending me and other listeners <laughs> pictures of their baby goats um so we have exclusive whatsapp group chats there's a big massive contact list for everyone that's a pa- patron to connect with one another um and we also have workshops, which I just started, and normally those are only available for people that are signed up at the $10 a month and up level, but I'm going to be teaching an Astrology 101 workshop um, that I'm going to offer to all patrons. So I've spoken about this a bit before, but basically I'm going to start talking about astrology more on the podcast. If you're not into it, you are totally welcome to just skip those episodes. But if you are into it, I wanted to give everyone a basis of uh, on which to actually understand what I'm talking about. Um, I, for those of you who have been following me for a long time, I took an astrology apprenticeship a few years ago and I was offering readings to my listeners and people that follow me for quite some time. And I sort of took a step back from that, um, because I had a complicated experience in the whole spiritual astrology world and I just wanted to step away. And, uh, I knew I was going to come back into it, but I wanted to do it in a way that felt intentional and aligned. Um, and I needed some time to figure that out. So I think I figured it out. <laughs> at least we're at the point where I do feel comfortable talking about it again. And I feel really called to teach all of you the basics so that you can use these tools in your own life. And you don't have to rely on an astrologer who gives you a reading. You don't have to rely on like stupid computer-generated Um, representations of a chart, which are never accurate. Those apps are really lacking in valid information, unfortunately. Um, And so I thought this was a good first step for me to dip my toes back into astrology and give all of you the tools. So I'm hosting a workshop. It's probably going to be two to three hours long. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. um, And it's happening on the 5th at 6.30pm Mountain Time. So if you'd like to sign up for that, the way to do it is to go to patreon.com, sign up for the $5 a month level. It's called the Rebel Level. If you want to continue on and keep supporting the podcast as a patron, that's amazing. But if you just want to take a $5 astrology course, I will not be mad if you sign up just to get access to the Zoom link and then stop your subscription. Uh, So when you sign up, you'll get access to a bunch of posts on the page that are exclusive for patrons. And in there, you'll find the information about how to join our Zoom call. Um, And again, as I mentioned, of course, lots of other perks available on uh, Patreon as well. Um, But I just wanted to mention that one thing because we only have a couple more days, um, and if you're listening to this way in the future, I'm going to be recording the astrology one-on-one workshop and posting it so that anybody who becomes a patron at the five dollar and up level at any point in time into the future will be able to access this as a recording. Um, so, yeah. What else? Oh, yeah, I want to tell a little short story. Um, I was thinking about this recently because. I'm definitely someone that struggles between two ends of a spectrum. Um, One end of that spectrum is like wanting to say what I mean and standing up for who I am and like being that person that says things that other people don't want to say. But then on the other end, I'm extremely, I can be (laughs) extremely codependent. I do really care what other people think. Um, And I don't just care what other people think about me. Like I really truly care what other people think and what other people's experiences are. And so I find myself struggling between, as Mary referenced in that message that she left me, like, I want to say something, but I don't want to alienate people. But I know if I don't say it, then I'm going to alienate myself and alienate all of you who do happen to agree. So it's sort of this constant struggle. And although I think I've gotten a lot better at it, it does still feel sad to me or hurtful to me or painful to me when I feel like, I'm rejected or like someone doesn't like me or someone doesn't agree with what I say and therefore doesn't want to spend time with me. Like I'm really concerned about always wanting to patch those things up within reason. Like I'm good at boundaries. I try not to surround myself with toxicity, but I really do care about like normal other empathetic people. Um, so, so sometimes that kind of rejection for being myself or for saying something that I believe, um, can be quite painful. And this happened to me a few years ago and I wanted to tell the story about it because it's a really good example of how something can feel like really fucked up and terrible and like the end of the world at the time but then later on evolves into something much more meaningful and much more authentic and you look back and you think like oh thank god that plan didn't work out you know so I came to visit the San Luis Valley which is in uh, Colorado where I am currently I came here for the very first time in the spring of 2018, I came here for an astrology retreat, and at that point, I had just sort of been—I was in the very like the total myths of my dark night of the soul. It's really traumatic period of time, trying to figure out what the fuck I wanted to do with my life, and what felt what I what I felt really really called to, um in addition to the podcast, was. Uh, buying some land and starting a community of some kind. And so I was reading all these books and I was talking to a lot of people and I was just like engaging constantly around what this could look like and where it should be and who would I do it with. And some of the people at the astrology retreat who I really liked basically expressed that they wanted to do something very similar and not only very similar in concept, but they're also interested in similar locations, specifically in Colorado. And it really wasn't until I got here to the retreat that I started to consider this place for building the community but it felt really right I felt really called to it and it felt very synchronistic and like it was meant to be that I had met these people it was like one person in particular that was really interested in doing this project with me and it was the first time that I got to talk to someone else about it really so and what I mean by that is like it was the first time that I could see myself picking someone or choosing people to do this with and that was always Going to be imperative. Like, there was no way that I could do this by myself, you know? So, my first steps in trying to figure this out was I need to find other people who want to do this with me so that I can create this project together so we can pool our resources. Like, the whole point is to build a community, not for me to just have land by myself. So, it felt really special that this was kind of the first time that it felt like, oh my God, like, this is it. This is the plan. I'm supposed to buy land in this area with these people. And we went back and forth about it for a while, got kind of intense. At one point, I remember sending an email being like, here's my vision. It was very vulnerable. I had all these like, here are the like the tenets of this community. Like here are the things that we want to focus on. And um, I remember I got no response to that email, like dead silence, <laughs> like no response whatsoever. And as the, t- as time went on, I was feeling like super self-conscious about this I'm like, fuck, like maybe they think I'm an idiot. Like maybe they don't agree with it. Like maybe they've already chosen other people to do this project with. I w- like I was going through a huge mess of emotions. And finally, in the end, what happened was that like, we all sort of decided we had different visions and other sort of personal issues arose that made it clear that like, maybe this wasn't the best plan. And that was definitely true. It was definitely not the best, best plan. But at the time, I was totally freaked out about it. And I remember calling my dad and just being like, like, oh, fuck, should I like say something? Like, Maybe I made them feel weird. Like, I don't know what about me they don't like, but I feel like they've chosen someone else to do this with or just rejected me and they're just ghosting me and not even telling me. And my dad said, Anya, like any rejection is just an invitation to a cooler party. And I remember I wrote that down in my journal and I've thought about it every single time since um, where I feel as if I've been rejected or something that I really wanted to work or something that I thought was going to work and didn't. I just always remind myself about that. And that's easier to do now because I've seen that come to fruition. So that plan didn't work. I was not able to do that project with those people. And then a year or two passed, and I met some other people. And guess what? Those people also wanted to buy land (laughs) and start a community in the same place that I did. And we didn't even have the connection of having ever come here together like I did with the people at my astrology retreat. Um, And of course, here I am now in that place with the land, planning to build this community. And guess what? it's a fucking cooler party. It's a way cooler party. I'm way happier. And this feels much more like what it was supposed to be all along. And I'm really glad that one, I have a fucking amazing dad who always says the right things in moments of crisis for me. Um, but I'm really glad that I was able to hear what he said and wait the period of time in order to see that this was supposed to unfold in a different way that in the end was going to be much better anyway. And sometimes the plans don't happen at all, right? Like it could have been equally as valid had I never ever met anyone that ever wanted to buy land in this place in Colorado and start a community. And maybe something else would have come into my life that also would have been way more aligned and more authentic. Um, But that whole thing about like, if you have to force the door down, that is not your door. And I know it can sometimes feel just gut-wrenching, especially when we're younger, like in our 20s, or going through that process where we're really individuating and all of those people around us are not going to agree and it just feels like that you're walking into this like big black hole of solitude and rejection for, for the rest of your life. Like it just feels so terrible because we're a social species, we're a communal species, like rejection feels like death in many ways because that's sort of what it used to be. So I I understand the weight of those those situations and I really encourage all of you to, uh, remember that quote from my dad too. Like anytime something doesn't work out, I know it sounds like spiritual and wooey, but it really wasn't meant to be. Um, it never is, you know, the, the things that are meant to be are the things that we don't force are the things that just pop into our lives and don't feel like we're holding on. Don't feel like effort. So whether it's something big or small, whether it's just like you want to say something and you don't know who's going to accept you or you have said something and someone's rejected you or you've lost all your friends or, you know, people are attacking you and canceling you online, like whatever the thing is, I promise that just give it some time and it'll all make sense. And then once you do that, once you trust in the process once, then the next time it happens, you have a little bit more strength to trust. And then the next time it happens, you have even more and then eventually the disappointments and the rejections sometimes they don't even feel like that sometimes they just purely feel like invitations sometimes they just feel like relief sometimes it's like oh okay like let's not do that like i'm just going to stop thinking about that for a while and focus over here and see what else happens um and that's that's a true a true gift i think and uh you know not to say that i'm ever going to attain like peak spiritual ascended fucking goddess or something and like just let my life happen and like never get anxious or um never be afraid or or never be disappointed when something doesn't work out but I think it is a product of of age and experience to just consistently allow these things to happen because it makes everything in the future so much easier and then you get to support other people Like that is such a gift too, you know, for, for me to be able to like hold space for all of you or any of my friends when they go through something like this and I get to provide them with the wisdom from what I've experienced, that's just a whole other level. And that reciprocity feels so good. It's like, you can stop spending your energy in this one place and put it into something else. So I know all of you are, freaks like me like Mary um and I know all of you have controversial opinions or want to live your life in unconventional ways and I hope that all of you by one way or another have the strength to accept all of those rejections and accept the failures and accept the mistakes and know that at some point maybe much further down the line or maybe tomorrow things are going to work out so much better so on that note, I'm going to play you in today with a song called Warm Animal by Shore Shore, which I have not been able to stop listening to. Thank you to my friend Caroline, who brought it to my attention. Um, but I thought it really fit into these, today's episode with Lenore, just to fucking accept what feels good and do it because it feels good. And pleasure is not something that we should pathologize or feel badly about wanting or needing. So whatever your weird, Whatever your individual weird pleasure kink is, just, like, fucking do it as long as you're not hurting anybody. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the song. Enjoy this conversation. I'll catch you on the other end.
2: I like the way you say my name, babe And the way you wake up on a Sunday The same way. yeah i hope that you feel the same
0: here with Lenore. I am stoked to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here.
3: Um, Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've been following you for a while and I, I, I keep meaning to ask you to come on the podcast and then like finally what sort of triggered it for me was that you were fucking kicked kicked off instagram oh which sucked um <laughs> and i wanted to have you on like during that time like maybe we can help raise awareness for this but i'm glad to say you're back <laughs> but you're still on my podcast so it's just like a yes. win-win
3: <laughs> um, i uh, i came back from the dead
0: <laughs> yeah seriously uh so we're definitely gonna talk about that and lots of other things um maybe first it would be cool if you could just introduce yourself to the audience and speak a little bit about what you do um I know even probably describing what you do is a little complex but <laughs> the best you can on this medium um and then we could go from there.
3: Yeah, so uh so my name's Lenore. Um I'm a sex witch as kind of this like overarching thing. Um it's funny cuz even at parties they're like, "Oh yeah, so this is my friend Lenore. She's like a um like she's like an educator but like but not but like kind of a witch but also like a I don't know. So, so yeah, I'm also kind of like hmm, who am I? Yeah. But um but yeah, so I work a lot with um sexual healing and helping others kind of step into their full like sexual power and expression um but it's funny like even that has kind of been shifting because which we'll talk about more like through getting deactivated and kind of going through that whole process. I'm just like, oh, like sex is only like one part of this. Um, So I love talking about like the unconscious and the way that we kind of like perceive things. And um, yeah, lots of just like witchy shit, (laughs) lots of of sex, lots of witchy shit and then everything kind of in the middle of that.
4: (laughs)
0: Yeah. So you work, I know you teach, um, like classes, like master classes online and stuff, but you Mm -hmm. also work like one-on-one with individuals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: So I started, um, I kind of started my work, um, working one-on-one with clients and it's so amazing. Like I love working one-on-one, especially for a really long period of time, because I Mm -hmm. think before I was kind of just working with people for a short period of time and kind of trying to like, Cram it all in and cram it all down their throats and then be like, okay, go out into the world, see you later. Like, you got yeah. this. But um, but now I'm like going a little slower and realizing that the longer you work with someone, like the more you can kind of see their lives change, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah. So I'm really digging like the longer containers. Um, and I started doing online courses. My favorite one is Seduce Your Shadow, which is kind of just like basically accepting like the most fucked up parts about you. <laughs> And so, yeah, maybe that's what I do. Like, I help people realize that it's, like, okay to be fucked up and that it's actually, like, our superpowers. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I also have, like, an online um, membership group as well, which has been really fun because it's off of Instagram. So that's been, like, a fun place to play where it's, like, yeah, Instagram is just, like, so... Uh, draconian in all of the ways so it's nice to be able to have like these different little online spaces that have nothing to do with that which is great yeah
0: yeah i agree i definitely want to talk about instagram a lot i've had like gone through my own evolutions and feelings about it my account was actually deleted like many many years ago and i was living a totally different life and had like a food blog but it was like that was my whole life and my whole career and i still don't really know why it was deactivated and why it was reactivated But, yeah, that was a pretty, like, fucked up, like, come to Jesus moment of, like, who am I, what am
3: I doing? And it just can fucking disappear in a second. And I think that's what's so amazing about the Internet is that it's like, and to me, it's like the Internet is witchcraft, right? Like, it doesn't exist, really. It's kind of in this, like, liminal space out there between (laughs) between worlds. And you can, like, take it and mold it into whatever you want it to be. And then all of a sudden, but it can also fucking disappear like <laughs> like magic, too. Yeah. So that's fun.
0: <laughs> I know. And it's bizarre, too. I mean, especially with our generation. I mean, I was definitely like pretty old by the time Instagram exists, like it was invented and, and started to exist. But even still, it's like the the ways that we forget like, the differences or, like, the fact that, like, we're in real life and that's Instagram life. Like, I was, as I was mentioning before we started recording and I've talked about it on my podcast, like, I was dealing with all this drama on the internet for the past couple of weeks. And it took a while and, like, painstaking conversations with people in my life. And someone was like, what are we even talking about? Like, that isn't really (laughs) even real life. Like, these people, like, (laughs) this is not real.
1: Yes. Um, Oh, my God. My
3: ex... When we lived together, like I would kind of get in these internet holes too, and I'm just like, "Well, so and so did this, and now this is this person's canceled, and now I have to cancel this person." He's like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "This is not real." He's like, "This is just your community." Like, this shit does not happen to me, and I'm like, "Oh no."
0: Yeah, I feel like we are it's like The Sims or something. It's just like yes. bizarre, like mutual masturbatory nonsense. that is yes, crazy. Yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, before we get into all of that, um, I would love to talk a bit about how you got to where you are and what you're doing. I know you've talked openly about your history with like trauma and sex trafficking and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and I think your perspectives are really unique and amazing. So I'd like you to share some of those. Um, yeah. But yeah, just hearing about your like, point a to point b journey would be really cool
3: yeah so i i always kind of joke that like the way i became a sexual healer was because i just learned about sex and relationships honestly and emotions all completely the wrong way and i feel like a lot of us do like we you know these early experiences really shape a lot of who we become a lot of the shit that we get turned on by like a lot of the way that we kind of interact with other people in the world um And so I kind of just, I kind of just ran through the world, like trauma unchecked for a very long time and, you know, fucked up a lot. (laughs) Like I, um, I think for me when it comes to sharing my story and I'm getting a little more and more open about it as I get older. So it's like, um, you know, I had childhood sexual abuse in my past and then I met up with this really horrible guy through the internet, ironically, again, that, Kind of great and terrible thing about the internet, mm. um, and yeah, and basically got wrapped up in like a child sex pedophile ring um, that was like an online porn thing. So
4: mm.
3: it was, um, and I think the hardest part about that was like I feel like me as an educator for a while I could talk about the fact that like oh you know I was abused I was raped like this makes sense in my like looking at the trajectory of my life, but. As I've kind of unpacked a lot of that, I feel like the reason why I feel so hesitant to talk about it in a lot of ways is because I don't fit the identity of, like, the perfect Mm -hmm. victim. So my kind of experience with the um, child porn ring was that I, like, fell in love with my rapist. And, like, I actually helped him in a lot of ways. And it's something that, like, I've held a lot of guilt over for many, many years And so it's kind of this thing where it feels like, like, it's okay, like, it's okay for me to be like, yes, I was sexually abused as a child. And like, look at where I am now and how powerful I am. But it's harder to say that I like played a part in this. And like, yeah, I was 12 years old at the time. So like, um, you know, I've gone through a lot of therapy and stuff. That's like, it wasn't my fault. I was brainwashed, blah, blah, blah. Um, But you know, I was also 12. So I kind of knew that what I was doing was wrong. And um yeah, it's just kind of one of those things where it's like it's a story that I felt like like I no one else would have been able to save me except for myself at that point. And so I just kind of like <laughs> let all of that process for many years of my child or teenage years, I suppose, and just kind of, like I said, ran a little unchecked through my teenage and um early 20s for the most part. And and that was the thing, too, and and also where trauma gets really complicated because I hurt a lot of people. Like, that's why I think I do, um, you know, like, obviously, I'm maybe not the best person to ask when it comes to, like, abusers and stuff because I had Stockholm Syndrome. Like, I fell in love yeah. with my abusers. So I do have some, like, empathy for abusive people that I feel like a lot of people maybe don't have. Um, but, yeah, it's like I've also hurt people in my past. Like, I've caused a lot of harm um, I emotionally, physically, like all of the ways. So yeah, I think it's like, as I'm kind of opening up more about my past and realizing that it doesn't have to fit in this kind of like cookie cutter kind of thing of like, I was a victim and now I'm empowered. It's like, my life has been a very strange turn of like being a villain and a victim in many different ways. Um, and, and still does sometimes, right. Cause yeah. none of us are perfect. And so so, yeah, so the, in that way, it kind of became um, this moment where it's like sex became my drug. It was like the thing that I used to punish myself. So I talk about sex addiction a lot um, and I do identify as a sex addict. But I know that that can be kind of um, like a stick for a lot of people because they're like, oh, well, sex addiction is, doesn't exist. Like, it's just desire and you just have a higher sex drive than other people. And I think that's true. Um, in some sense, but I definitely still identify as a sex addict because it felt like I was punishing my body through sex. It felt like I was using sex as an escape. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like, oh, I just love fucking so much that I want to do it all the time. Like, yes, if you feel that way, like, you're fine. You're not a sex addict. Um, But yeah, when it feels like something that is hurting others or hurting yourself and you're kind of doing it in this way that's very compulsive, like, to me, it's sex addiction. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, through all of that, through yeah. kind of this, like, this horrible secret that I felt like I was carrying around with me. Um, it felt like there was this kind of demon on my back all the time, this like parasite constantly sucking my life out. And I just mostly wanted to die. Like, I didn't ever really try to kill myself. But I just made it as easy as possible for either somebody else to kill me or like, you know, like accidental style kind of thing. And it was through this like, near death experience that I had like crazy randomly um, out of the blue that I woke up and I was like, Oh, fuck, like, I want to live actually. And if like, I'm the only person that can pull myself out of this. And so that's kind of been my journey for the last five years and, and for the past five years, it was kind of a, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I'm just kind of doing all these little healing things, um, that will hopefully eventually help me. Um, Mm. and yeah, now it's like five years later, I'm like, okay, it took a while. Like it's not overnight, but like for the most part, I'm getting to the point where I don't identify so deeply with my trauma all the time anymore. And it feels like something that, um, like, yeah, it happened. it was horrible. i don't wish it on my worst enemies, but also, like it's something that I can move through and move past um so so that's kind of like the cornerstone of my work as well yeah. and and it's really funny because when i start- when I came to this conclusion, it was I believe twenty seventeen and And it was kind of this moment, um, also in the sense of me not being a perfect victim, right? Like, my rapist, abuser, whatever, is still out there. Like, I never press charges against him. Um, That's also, like, an incredibly complicated thing for a lot of people. And, And so in that way, it was like, I had finally... Like, of course, I had all these fantasies and, like, things that I wanted to just fucking do to him and, like, wish these horrible things would happen to him. But I feel like I finally kind of got to this point of, like... Honestly, it doesn't fucking matter what happens to him. Like, it doesn't matter if he goes to jail or not at this point. Like, it's not going to make me feel any better. Um, So I might as well just focus on myself. And then it was funny that happened. Like, so I kind of started on the Internet being like, you know, like, your healing journey is, like, with you and your own body. Like, fuck those other people. And it was, like, right when Me Too happened. And I was, like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> like, I had, I had just gotten oh, to the man. point where I'm, like, I don't want to strangle this person to death anymore. Like, I've made peace with myself. And then I realized that so many of us, like, are not at that point. and And it makes a lot of sense why, like, I'm not pushing my own kind of spiritual journey with trauma on anybody else, but just like, it just really exposed, um, these huge cracks in our society that we have.
0: Yeah. Fuck. Uh, I, one of the major reasons I started this podcast was because of the me too movement and because Mm. I shared basically everything you said I can relate to. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. involved in sex trafficking, thank, thank God, and my, the sexual abuse I suffered was a lot more minor, but even still, like, you know, I was definitely in very abusive relationships and with people yeah. that, certainly emotional and psychologically abusive, but also physical, sexual-ish. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I went through all of that, like, you know, and I think that's, I know you wanted to talk a bit about like identifying with trauma or identifying as someone Mm -hmm. who is traumatized and you know i talk a lot on this podcast about that whole victimhood thing because Mm -hmm. i i think that was always my issue with and not just the me too movement but i feel like a lot of social justice movements were framed around the victimhood position (laughs) and it was just like I mean, and that isn't and i and I get in trouble a lot because I feel like people think that I'm like invalidating the emotional piece mm. of this, and I'm like, no, look, I get it, like I know the cycles of rage and anger and grief and mm-hmm. like revenge fantasies, and like i've I've gone through that circle so many times, but still, at the end of the day, where I landed was like, how do we have agency over our lives and take responsibility, and at least in my situation, you know. I was I was an adult participating like it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. I was doing that dance. And had I said, you know, in all these situations, like I wasn't physically restrained or anything like that, like yeah. I could have walked away. But I kept I kept engaging and I kept engaging. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I struggle with making sure people recognize that my saying my me talking about empowerment and responsibility is not negating of the fact that that situation sucked and it probably wasn't your fault, Mm -hmm. but even still, it's like, we have to move past that. Um, Totally. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead.
3: Actually, it's funny. um, Speaking of the victim consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) So, so this is also a good time to just, get out get out the cat out of the bag that I'm also a huge pervert as well like I'm super kinky and I'm into all kinds of like dark weird shit and I feel like my trauma just like exaggerated that Um, but one of my one of the roles that I love playing and it's not even like sexual right it's just like out in the world is I love it when people feel really sorry for me and it's funny when it's like just telling you like my whole story and everything and like like it's like it's so basically I'm turning you on
0: right now is what you're saying yes you are I'm
3: just like (laughs) oh and so that's the thing where it's like when i moved to california the first time like i was in a shitty relationship um and i would i would go out and i'd be so sad just like just like reeking of sadness and people would come up and be like are you okay and i'm like i'm not okay like let me tell you everything and i would just walk away with just like the biggest smile on my face like oh my god like finally (laughs) so it's like so with the with the kind of the victimhood um, consciousness like I totally get it like it feels really good when other people feel sorry for you and like when you have their attention and like there's something just like really like I mean obviously erotic for me but charging yeah. like it's it's like there's like an energetic charge there yeah. um so yeah so I think to me it's like it's important to realize that on some level like you're playing a role and yeah. and that it's like and that it feels good and that it is part of this like and not always right like um, but that it can be part of this like grief cycle. And I think it's really important to be a victim when something bad has happened to you. Like it's very important, but then after a certain point, it's just like, you're just kind of jerking yourself off. <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: well it's and it doesn't I don't think it it doesn't move you forward like I always say like anger is a bridge not a parking lot like I do Mm. think you need to like get anger you need to like remove yourself realize like whatever bullshit you've internalized like it's not your fault this isn't you you're not crazy it's the other person but that's just like the path that's not the solution and I feel like not only just people but like movements and like just these huge things in our world get stuck in that place. And then like, I'm the asshole or like the rape mm-hmm. apologist because I'm like, well, what are you going to do about it? Like, uh, it's yeah. So frustrating.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, if I, if I would have kind of hinged my whole process of recovery on whether or not my abuser was going to jail or whether or not he would ever ever even fucking acknowledge that he did anything wrong, then I would still be a very, I would be dead by now because I just would not have like it. It was just, it wasn't until I was able to realize that like what happened to me was not my responsibility. It was not my fault by any means. What happens to anybody is not their fault, but yeah. um, you know, it is up to us to kind of clean up the mess. And it's like, if not, then you're just going to live in a fucking messy house for the rest of your life. And that's just, Kind of sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, what, uh, so around this whole thing about like people, I sort of assumed what you meant was similar to what I talk about, about this whole victimhood, but I would love for you to elaborate a bit on this whole like, mm-hmm. Trauma as an identity thing, and mm. the issues
3: there. Um, <laughs> okay, just give, so, give me all your controversial takes. I'm like, I'm like, this will piss off everyone in my audience, which is fine. Like, I like, I like pissing them off. That's that's my other kink. Yeah. um but yeah, it's so this is something. um Yeah, it's really interesting. So it's like. I kind of went through this phase of like I'm okay, let me let me not act like it's a phase as if it's over but like <laughs> like I wanted to be the fucked up girl and I very much was. Like I feel like in a lot of ways um so how old are you? Uh 32. Okay, I'm 30. Yeah, so we kind of grew up in the same time like the movie 13 was mm-hmm. really big. Um, girl Interrupted. Like, all these movies that were basically... Ju- um, the Virgin Suicides. Like, all these fucked up girls. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we kind of idealize that girl. Oh, yeah. And then Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan. So, like, all around us, it's like, oh, yeah. It's okay to be just, like, a hot fucking mess. Like, if anything, right. it's actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so I kind of grew up with that happening in the background. Um And then, you know, my trauma happened and it was interesting because like, I would talk about it a lot when I was younger, um, and, and actually still have for a really long time. And it was something that, um, you know, people would look at me and be like, wow, it's pretty crazy that you can like kind of giggle about something like that. Or like that it's, it, it feels like it doesn't really affect you that much anymore. And I'm like, I don't know, like it definitely affects me, but I think that, you know, by talking about it, like it makes me feel better and it's fun, And like, blah, blah, blah. And so as I got older and older, it became this thing where it was like, I don't know, like suddenly talking about it didn't make me feel better anymore. Hmm. And it started to become this thing that I realized I was so caught up in it being a part of my identity. Um, that then was like, cause I also did sex work for many years as well. So it was like, it kind of, you know, it's like not the trope that we all want where it's like, Oh, the sexually abused girl goes <laughs> on to do sex work, like blah, blah, right. blah. But, um, but it also like kind of fit neatly into that as well. And kind of allowed me to just like stay in this space of trigger. Mm. And so that was something that, um, that was interesting because now, And honestly, it's only happened within the past few months, and I really don't know what the fuck happened, but I'm just starting to identify less and less with my suffering and my pain and kind of identifying more and more with just like my pleasure and like what I enjoy about life and what feels good about it. And when I kind of, you know, after the Me Too thing kind of erupted, I started doing sex coaching. I'm online, you know, I'm a business person, right? Like I, I'm watching this shit. And so I'm online and I'm seeing all this stuff about trauma, 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 trauma healing. And I'm like, oh, I could do that. Like I'm fucking traumatized. Like I'm working my way through it. Like, so I started catering a lot of what I was saying around my own journey with trauma. And And a lot of it, I mean, obviously it wasn't just a business decision, but like from the deepest part of my core, like I feel like the reason why my trauma affected me so deeply was because I was completely isolated in the experience. Like I didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm -hmm. Nobody was listening. Um, And so in this way, I felt like talking about my journey would really... um, help people know that they're not alone in this kind of thing. And and that also it's possible to have a life after this happens. Like these are, these are horrible moments that kind of define us um, in some ways, whether we want them to or not, but um, but that it's also possible to go on to have it not define you as well. Um, so, yeah, so losing my Instagram was kind of, you just kind of tie that in here too. It was yeah. kind of this really wild thing of like going, you know, This this, the prospect of starting over essentially and being like, what the fuck do I want to talk about now? And then once I got my account back, I was looking through my old posts and I was like, oh my God, dude, you are really just saying some stuff on here. And like, you're being so open about this. And like, you're just constantly talking about how fucked up you are. And I was like, is that how I want people to perceive me? Like, is that how I want to be known? And even like, it was funny i feel like it like even the whole thing about me talking about my experience um in a child pedo sex porn whatever ring um was also like a quarantine twitter meltdown moment where i was just like I was really triggered by all the QAnon shit that was going on this summer and where it was very much like, you know, we need to save the children and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you motherfuckers wouldn't know how to save a kid if they were like staring at you in the face. Like it's Mm -hmm. so much more complicated than that. And so, so that kind of inspired me to tell my story in this way. And it was funny, like I didn't feel better after I told it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like, you know I think we we see these people and they like dump their shit online and they just and they like call people out and they do this thing and and in some ways like I had fantasized about this moment like like I didn't I knew I didn't want to call him out because it just would be way too much emotional stress on me um and just not worth it ultimately because he's and that's we'll go into this later, but he was just a regular ass fucking dude. Like he's not someone who has anything to lose. He doesn't have a ton of money, like whatever. Like there's no, I wouldn't stand to gain anything by calling him out. Right. Um, so, which I feel like a lot of it happens in that way. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, um, so it just felt like I would just be dragging my own self through the mud and it wouldn't be worth it. But I had definitely fantasized about that moment. Right. And thinking like, God, once I can just like, fucking bear everything on the internet. Like once I can really tell people how truly fucked up I am, like then I'll feel better. Then my trauma will disappear. (laughs) And it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) It just made me get some really, really weird DMs for a while. Um, Mm. But yeah, it was just kind of one of those things that with this kind of trauma culture that we've created on the internet that I – helped create in a way and kind of piggybacked off of like, I'm just realizing like, is this shit healthy for us? Yeah. Like, is it a good thing that we are constantly opening our phones up and seeing like, well, you know, you were abandoned in childhood, if this, and then it's got the little infographic, and you're like, oh, yep, I was abandoned in childhood. Oh, you know, you have a narcissistic mother, if, oh my God, God, my mom was so fucking crazy. And then it's like, you have unhealed trauma if you do this. And I'm like, oh Jesus. And that's all like within the first 10 minutes of waking up. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, in this way, I feel like we're kind of creating this culture of like self-help online. Um, And I think that it's really good to be following some of these accounts. But if this is the shit that only you're following, like... Right, Right, or like not seeing it
0: as a process, you know? Like I do think those things are beneficial to like make those realizations. But if you just get stuck in that soup and stay there. And I I wonder too, like I'm curious, I talk about this a lot. My friend Erin, who I co-host my other podcast with, had this situation where... She was, like, basically raped by a friend at a party, (laughs) but they were both really Mm -hmm. drunk. Um, And at the end of the whole thing, she woke up, and she was just like, why? She woke up, and this guy was basically, she's told this story on her podcast. This guy was basically Mm -hmm. fucking her, and she, like, didn't give consent, and she was like, what are you doing? And he he rolled off of her and was like, I'm sorry, and blah, blah, blah. And then I think, like, a year or two later, she was telling this story in therapy, and the therapist Mm -hmm. was like, you were raped. Like you need to understand, like you need to press charges and like how much of what we experience is actually our experience versus like what people Mm -hmm. tell us about our experience. You know, like it sounds like for you, it was fucking nuanced, you know, like you, whether it was like right or not, or good or not, like in the Mm -hmm. moment, in that experience, like I wonder too, at the end of the day, if we didn't have so much outside influence telling us like we were abused or that was bad or this was bad. Mm -hmm. what we would think and feel, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and that's where it does get really complicated is that it's like, you know, we think of rape, especially as this very black and white thing. And, and it's just not, there's so many shades and it's so complicated Mm -hmm. and you can even feel one way in the moment when something is happening and then feel differently afterwards. And, and that's just humans, right? Like it's, it's complicated. And so, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, in a lot of ways, like I was, um, I don't know, kind of seeing that there was this culture online and knowingly participating in it in kind of this way that I felt like, oh, I'm just sharing my story because I'm helping other people. Um, But yeah, then it's just like, I kind of see the way that now people are talking about trauma. And <laughs> so, so yeah, let's just use this to kind of segue. Um, okay. How do I say this? Okay. So I actually had a really good conversation, um, on my Instagram about this. So I'll kind of start out with like those talking points because I think that's okay. important. So, um, I, be- I personally believe And this could just be me being kind of an English major who's obsessed with language and semantics. So even using the word trigger is kind of annoying to me right now. Like, so like, for example, and like, yeah. So it's like, I remember I joined, um, a sex coach training program in Berkeley. This was in 2016. And this was when I was kind of like, yeah, okay. I've done the sex worker thing. Like I love it, but like, I want to add some skills, some other skills and work on kind of making money in a different way. And so I took this training and like the first day they're talking about triggers. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm in Berkeley, but like, what are you talking about? Like triggers are a de- debilitating PTSD episode. Like, and I've only had, like, I have someone who has um, CPTSD and I've only had two major, what I would consider like, full on like, like crying under a table for 45 minutes kind of thing. Um, so to me, that was when you were triggered. So I kind of started to learn this new definition of the word triggered, which meant, um, something that scratches people's wounds, right? Like not a debilitating PTSD episode, which now you see that Actually, I'm referring to a debilitating PTSD episode as something that was initially referred to as a trigger, but I have to use it, I have to say it that way because they are extremely different things. <laughs> yeah. Extremely different things. Um, but that's not to say that like a PTSD episode can't be more nuanced, because it definitely can be, but yeah, like it's it's not the same as what the way that we use triggered now. So that was kind of my first thing where I was like. Okay, that's interesting. Um and then kind of as I was beginning to participate in this like online trauma culture, which by the way I still love, okay? Like I'm tr- I'm tr- I'm going to trash on it in this episode, but like <laughs> I'm still in it. Like I still follow yeah. the fucking self-help Instagrams. Like I still like it, but I think it's just really important to take a step back and be really objective about it.
4: Yeah.
3: Okay, so anyway, um so I started having this conversation on my Instagram that was about trauma. And it was like, okay, in, in my mind, there is trauma with a big T and traumas with little Ts. And that those are extremely different things. There's this kind of um, idea going around or this kind of thing that's like, and th- a lot of therapists perpetuate this as well. Like everybody's traumatized. Like you have trauma and i'm like um okay like yes but also no <laughs> like no. so it i started realizing that the word trauma was becoming this kind of way broader definition of a word um than i had understood it to be and i think it's important to note here as well that i think trauma um like i said before Really defines us as people, um, whether we were kids, whether we were teenagers, whether we're adults, um, and it's it's kind of like if you think of a myth, right, or, like, a a famous legend, like, it never starts out with, like, little Jimmy was raised in an upper-middle-class home, had a perfect childhood, and then he decided to go fight the forces of evil. Like, no, there's always some, like, his fucking mom was murdered in front of him him when he was a kid, and now... (laughs)
4: Exactly.
3: And ate one of his eyeballs, and so he uses his other eyeball to, like, (laughs) fight the forces of evil. Like, like... That's just how storytelling works. Like, that's just Mm. how humans are. Um, And so I think trauma, traumatic events can be these, like, really defining moments in our lives. And I think they give us a lot of identity. So kind of (laughs) reigning it all back into, like, losing my identity on the internet to then realizing, like, oh, so much of my identity was focused on trauma. And even coming, like this was just my perspective, right? Like clearly I'm someone whose life has been very defined by my trauma. So if I sound like I'm like gatekeeping trauma for other people, then like, yeah, I am because my fucking life was defined. By- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot of my identity. And so, yeah. so yeah, I think it's important just to know that we're all kind of coming from different perspectives in this way, but okay. So off that soapbox on to the next one. Um, yeah, there's this, kind of thing going around this idea that everyone is traumatized and in the way that I understand trauma, like I'm going to kind of say no. Um, and then one of my amazing um, friends who's like in my coven group, she's fucking awesome. She's like, well, I think that we're all, she's like, I love you, but I disagree. Um, I think that we're all traumatized on some level because we live in a patriarchal white supremacist, capitalist, horrible fucking culture that yeah. has been, you know, and especially like, I'm here talking about trauma again as a white woman. So like as someone who's a person of color, as someone who's black indigenous, like they're going to have a very different um, perspective on it as well. So that's important. But, but so then she's like, well, everyone is traumatized because we live in this traumatic world. And I'm like, yes, but no, I agree with that. But again, Mm. trauma as the definition that I know, like I would say, no, that's not true. Um, But I think we are kind of expanding this definition of trauma in this, in this moment. But, um, but also like when it comes to healing it. So I think that's where the kind of like everyone is traumatized model where I start to see it kind of fall apart. So it's like, okay, you want to be, you want to be traumatized. You want to have something really fucked up happen to you so that you can have it define your life. And like, that's awesome. (laughs) If you want that, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Truly go for it. But, um, but in it's interesting because at least in my trauma healing journey, and this is kind of what we talked about, right. Is that it's all about making peace with yourself. It's all about making peace with things that were out of your control and learning how to live an incredible life kind of in spite of that, or, Mm because of it or whatever. Um, But when it comes, but when you look at it from that perspective of like, everyone is traumatized because of the shitty world that we live in. Yes. But also no, because if the like, So the healing in that is just to make peace with it and pretend it doesn't exist. Like, no, that's not what we want to do. Like, we want to change the white supremacist culture. We want to shift the capitalist bullshit. We want to, you know, fuck Instagram and their patriarchal policies. Like, it's not about, like, making peace with it and, like, moving on and, like, finding meaning in other ways. Um, So I think that's where I get hung up on the everyone is traumatized model is when you talk about healing it or, and not that you can ever really heal trauma, right? It's kind of just integrating it or whatever, but it all kind of starts to fall apart when you're like, yeah, but how are you going to heal that stuff? Like that takes action. It's not (laughs) about kind of... integrating it into your being and having it be like, Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. That racist thing that I experienced, like it was all in, in, um, for my higher good, like, no, (laughs) it just doesn't work that way. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. I, I think, you know, it's so nuanced. Like everything is, I feel like Mm -hmm. I've also come down on the spectrum of like, no, like I've had friends who have suffered, like, in my eyes, like, a traumatic event, something that, like, mm-hmm. to me, made an imprint on them that caused them to make decisions that maybe weren't in their self-interest later on, right? Like, this it's imprinting occurred, and I think a lot of us, because trauma was defined as, like, severe physical and sexual abuse, and that's kind of it, you know, like, anyone mm-hmm. who You know, had pretty severe like emotional or psychological abuse going up. Like, how do you fit into that box? And I think it's like we can do both. I think we can over exaggerate that term, but we can also cover up our own issues by saying, like, oh no, I wasn't traumatized because trauma is like this really like severe, intense thing, you know? Um, Yeah. 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 I think, and I don't know, I think. It really is about, like you said, the healing process of all of it. Mm. Um, And I think that's, you know, I told this story in a recent podcast. Like, there's so many different things happening. But I told a story about how I was, like, in a cafe in the town that I live in. And I overheard someone saying, like, how, and this isn't a comment about, like, fucking masks or if they're good or not. But it was fascinating (laughs) to me that this grown man said, I don't wear masks because I don't like them. And I was like, okay, but that's, like, a five-year-old way of interacting with the world. And, <laughs> yes. like, it's, like, and it's bizarre because I think it's, like, a big part of my process. Like, I definitely grew up in a way where I really had no idea. I had no sense of self. I had no, like, self-worth. I didn't know who I was. I was totally detached from my emotions. Like, I didn't know how to be sad. I was just, like, avoidant, avoidant, disassociated, like, on some mm-hmm. grandiosity mission to, like, cover up all my shit. And I feel like a big part of my healing process was like, oh, okay. Like I was hurt. It hurt me. Like I have feelings about that. I need Mm -hmm. to like feel valid and like strong in my emotions. My emotions have validity. I have validity. I need to feel all the things like that is a, that is an imperative part of the journey, but that's just like a step on the journey. And if then we don't move into the space of like, okay, just because I had an emotional reaction to that shouldn't inform the way that I think about this person or how I move through the world. And also like, Mm -hmm. shouldn't as a, I think like a quality of adulthood is to ascertain the difference between like, you said something that triggered me and you said something that triggered me, but I'm also going to employ my logic and my like intellectual Mm -hmm. brain. And like, now I'm going to make the decision based on all of those factors and knowing that like, while you may have said something that triggered my trauma, you're not, like, re-raping me or re-traumatizing yes. me in this moment. Yes. And if we don't, <laughs> yes. like, right? And that's, I feel like relationships are so fucked up for that reason because someone says something to another person that reminds them of a time that was way worse, like, mm-hmm. was traumatizing, was abusive... But if we don't learn how to distinguish like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, what you said reminded me of this and made me feel this. But then actually, like, I just feel like we get stuck in a literally like a childhood maturity level. Like, we should have learned this yes. shit as a kid. We should have been told as a yep. kid your feelings are valid. Just because we're learning that yep. as adults now, like, does not mean you get to live like that. Like, it's just not yeah. okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. And actually that, now I remember what, and kind of like <laughs> going with that trajectory too is yeah. like... So yeah, as we're kids, like shitty things happen to us and we don't have the tools for it. Right. Unless you have like really cool parents that are emotionally intelligent, but like for the most of us, it's unfortunately not the case. Um, and so it's like, but as adults, so yeah, so here's the thing, like, yes, we live traumatizing lives. Trauma is happening to us daily. Fucking check out this year, for example, like pretty traumatic year, I would say myself. Um, but but we're we're meant to move through these things. Like it's not meant to halt our lives. It's not meant to stop our lives. It's not meant we're not meant to dwell on these things forever as adults, right? And yeah. with access to proper mental health, which I feel like most of us if you're on if you have a cell phone and you're on Instagram like you have at least some access to community or mental health professionals or fucking Instagram self-help therapists, whatever that, that, yeah, like you said, like we're kind of supposed to move through this shit a little bit. So I think what I'm seeing is that, um, you know, certain things happen to people and that, and I'm not saying that they're good. Like they, they suck, right. They fucking suck but that, yeah, like you said, they're going back into this like deep childhood, like trauma response. And I'm like, girl, go to therapy. Like, you know how to do this? (laughs) Like you'd, you're, you know, and it's not like, I'm not pushing anything on anybody else, but it's just kind of like interesting from my perspective. Like I have had, like, you know, I kind of told you guys like my big trauma, right? Like that's my big fucking story. But Let me tell you all the other times I've been raped after that. Let me tell you all the other. I got freaking um, attacked on the street in San Francisco at 11 o'clock in the morning with my latte in my hand. And it was just this crazy guy. Like he was, you know, San Francisco can be a little like that sometimes. And so he's scratching. He scratched my face all up. It was super violent. I was terrified. So scared. And what did I do afterwards? I called my girlfriend's. I fucking went out to my favorite bar. I got really drunk. Like, we danced all night. Like, and I had a few nightmares about the experience afterwards, which makes sense. And then it's fine. (laughs) Like, it's like, it's okay. (laughs) Like, it wasn't... um, You know, like it wasn't, um, and, and it was funny even like losing my account, not to be like ridiculously dramatic, but you know, as millennials, I'm like, this is the fucking (laughs) worst thing that's ever happened to me. My life is over. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, bitch, your life is not over. Like, it's fine. This isn't even the worst thing that's happened to you. Like, and that doesn't mean that it's okay. And it, and I also think there is a thing too, where it's like, you probably get this too. If you had childhood trauma, it's kind of a little easier for you to deal with it as, um, as an adult. Cause you're just kind of like, well, here it is again, whatever, not surprised. Um, but yeah, so it's, so yeah, I think that's where I feel, um, kind of the, and, and also even working with my clients. Right. So sometimes because of the nature of the work that I do, like, it's very hypnotic. Like I take you into deep trance journeys and we like talk about all of the fucked up shit from your past, like, We go there and sometimes clients get, um, repressed memories and I'm like, don't fucking dwell on those. Don't fucking overanalyze it. Like it, I'm not telling you that that didn't happen. I have no idea if it did or not. It very well could have, but if you feel like it's something that could ruin your life as an adult and something that you have completely repressed for your whole life, don't open the box. Like you, it's, you don't have to, I think, yeah, I I think that's the more important part is you don't have to open the box in order to heal. Right. And I think that's where me with my Twitter meltdown over the summer, it's like, I'm going to open the fucking box. Like, here we go. Like, and it just doesn't, it doesn't make you feel any better. Right. (laughs) I wish, I wish it did, Yeah. (laughs) but it just doesn't.
0: Um, I forgot to ask you at the beginning where wh- what your deal is with time because I don't want to like go over. If oh, you I'm good. Have some, okay, because um, I have like a lot more to talk about. I feel like we could have a six-hour cool. conversation. <laughs> I know, right? You're <laughs> definitely on the same page. Um, so along those lines, a bit, I wanted to talk. You said something earlier about like fuck up, fucked up kink or quote unquote fucked up kinks or desires. And yeah, I always I always talk about like I think we have this issue in our culture and it's sort of similar to the trigger thing like that Mm -hmm. we're afraid of our desires you know and like I tell this story because for a lot for my whole life for as long as I can remember I've always been attracted to like much older dudes like never was into guys Mm -hmm. my age like never could get down and I was in all these relationships and they're all fucking shitty like they just all were Mm -hmm. toxic like I didn't know I, I mean totally partially my fault but like not good and I got to the point where eventually I was like okay is it a problem? And it wasn't just older guys, then it became, like, notable older guys with, like, platforms Mm -hmm. or podcasts or (laughs) TED Talks or whatever. (laughs) Oh, shocking! (laughs) And I was like, is that, like... For a while, I was like, okay, I need to stop that because that's the problem. Like, my attraction, my desire Mm. is the issue. And then, like, thankfully... I didn't go down that path and I was like, actually, I don't think my desires are the issue. I think it's just that like, I didn't know how to do relationships and I was choosing the wrong people with those traits, you know, but there, there could be cool people Mm -hmm. with those traits too. Um, and I think we are, we, we pathologize our desire so much. Like we think that there's something bad about what we're doing. And I found in my life that the more I move toward those desires, like, of course, As long as it's consensual and I'm not actually, like, hurting someone or abusing someone, that I have learned so much by walking toward them, just like I've learned so much by walking toward my triggers. Um, And I'm curious what your experience with that is. I mean, I guess partially related to your past, but also now, like... How informative um, <laughs> our
3: desires are! I'm like, oh man, I just fucking dove head first. Like once, what? Like I feel like in the beginning, I definitely wanted to distance myself from pretty much any. And and the thing was is I was actually kinky before any sexual abuse ever happened to me. Like mm-hmm. I have distinct memories. Um, of enjoying watching women get tortured when I was younger or like the feeling of it. Right. I mean, let's, yeah. let's talk about like it Xena warrior princess. Okay. Like it wasn't anything like super yeah. crazy, but this idea of kind of like women suffering was like always really hot to me. And, um, and so then like then trauma happened and that, that kink exploded into like 500 other different kinks. Um, which now I realize mostly just revolve around control, which makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, right? You're in this, you have this experience where you're completely out of control. You feel um, totally alone. So you're going to exercise control in whatever way you possibly can. And so, so yeah, for many years, and kind of during my biggest sex addiction phase, I was actually like kind of ignoring my kinks. Like in this way, um, like I was, I was actually... To be totally honest, I was compulsively reenacting my rape. So I had met this guy online, um, and that is what happened. We had this relationship for like two years afterwards. And so after that, I was like, okay, well, that's what I have to do now is just meet random men off of the Internet. And so I was meeting random men off the Internet for a while, and it was always pretty pretty triggering to me, shockingly. Like it was never good. It, um, Like I kind of said, I was just using it to punish myself. And then I started um, playing with kink. And so I had these kinks that I had kind of repressed for a while because I felt like they were too fucked up and I just wanted to be a normal girl. Um, God, I wanted to be normal so bad when I was younger. (laughs) I have no idea why. Um, And so I just wanted to be normal and like the homecoming queen and like not the fucked up girl that cuts herself or whatever. Um, so, So then I started playing with kink and I was like, holy fuck like and and so this is also something interesting as well like the first time I was pretty like I kind of just started experimenting with kink right randomly I was like eh, spanking isn't my thing but let's try it okay yep still not my thing or like oh this is like yeah I want you to make me bleed and then I'm like that actually kind of hurt like it's not really so I started getting a little confused about my kinks because I'm like Mm. okay I know that I'm kinky but I'm trying all this shit and it's not really like like it's fun it's not vanilla but it's like There's something not that exciting about it. Then I realized I was a mentally kinky person. And so for me, it's not really so much about the physical act of what is happening. And most of the kinkiest shit I've ever done, you don't need toys. You don't need to tie anybody up. Like you're just taking someone there with your words and your thoughts. (laughs) And like you're in this fucking world together. And you're like, what (laughs) is happening? (laughs) Um, So the first time I ever played with the daddy kink was I was actually super triggered like and to the point where the guy that I was playing with um he's really he's really crazy but he's super cool we're still friends um and so he was kind of like let's I think he would be into this like let's try this daddy thing and I was like okay so then we play with the daddy kink and I was so like I couldn't the first time I did it I couldn't pull fantasy from reality and so I'm sending him like photos of me when I was like 11 years old with braces on afterwards and he's like okay wait let's time out here like I'm not really attracted to the idea of you as a kid like you understand that right and I was like oh oh yeah like uh, yeah of, of course I understand that that makes so much sense like it just had like it was just this kind of path that I hadn't gone down um intentionally in a very long time and so when I did it was just this like kind of overwhelming, triggering, shitty, amazing experience which then I was like, more. <laughs> yeah. I need more. <laughs> and so so I got really into the daddy thing um for a while. It's still one of my favorites, but it's funny as I'm kind of like also kind of moving through my own trauma healing, like the daddy kink is becoming like less and less um charged for me, which I think is really funny and cool. But yeah. um but yeah, so then so once I started, so once I kind of got like a basic backdrop of my kinks, and I was like, "Oh, okay, now I know what turns me on. Now I know what I like." Uh, sorry, I just burped. <laughs> I was like, "I think I was like, oh, you can probably hear that because of the microphone." <laughs> anyway, I'm like here over here, like, "Oh, excuse me, she wanted to be It, it was silent. actually like, pretty oh, silent, wait. but I'm glad you called okay, it out. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> I thought I was being covert, but not at all. Um, so. Then I just let my shadow self, my fucking kinky self, like, in the driver's seat. So that is also something, um, as you guys can probably tell, I'm a very extreme person. Like, I have to almost do everything on, like, its most extreme level to be like, oh, that's what it's like over here. And then, like, now I can kind of walk back into the middle, but, like, I have to try it. And so um, so with this... I had kind of let my kinks go to this like super extreme level. And when I would meet someone, I'm like, I'm kinky. And like, this is what I'm into. And like, this is my whole identity. And like, this is who I am. And it's really healing for me. And it feels really affirming to me. Um, And it's funny. It's like really all I wanted was for somebody to truly see me through those experiences. And I feel like when I'm playing with taboo, especially because I have this idea about myself that I'm this kind of fucked up bad person. Like I'm trying to move through it, but at the end of the day, like that is still kind of what I think about myself. And, um, and that it feels so good to be just truly seen as that person, like to be able to play, like in some ways, in some of my fantasies, like, like the daddy one is a good example where it's very sweet It's like a really nice fantasy. Like my dad was not the person who abused me. So it feels like this really safe, um, safe space to access. That's still like incredibly fucked up. Um, (laughs) But there's a lot of other kinks that I have. Like I, I'm really into non-consent and like not non-consent happening to me, but also like non-consensually doing things to other people. And and that was something um, that like was really hard for me to kind of come to terms with and like, like, Oh, well, and because I think too, we have these stories, right? We grow up and it's like, well, what makes someone a rapist? It's like, well, you know, someone did that to them. So that's what they do to other people. And so in my mind, all growing up, I was terrified of becoming a rapist as I got older because I'm like, Oh my God, like I helped this person. I knew what he was doing. Like, I am a rapist. I'm blah, blah, blah. And so I had this like, Yeah, and I think that was honestly most of the stuff that was the hardest for me to kind of swallow. I feel like, um, you know, abuse and stuff, like, you can learn to live with it. Like, it's not great by any means, but when you feel like you're guilty of something, that is the kind of shit that will eat away at you forever. Um, so. (laughs) So in this way, it's like, now I've found, like, fun ways to kind of, like, play with my fantasies of non like non-consent um like obviously the biggest one is like consensually non-consenting like it's like hey we're gonna do this thing (laughs) but for me that's not exciting enough so I have to like make it edgy and weird so it's like so I play with ideas of non-consent in like regular life so like for example I don't wear bras and I love wearing super revealing clothing where I'm like basically forcing people to stare at my tits. And to me, like this is my weird little way of imposing myself non-consensually on people who did not ask for it. And pr- like, I don't know, sometimes they want to see it, but. A lot of times, maybe they don't. And, um, and like, same with, like, music. Like, I love listening to, like, really shitty music and just, like, blasting it and making sure that, like, everyone around me has to listen to that music and be like, God, couldn't that person just fucking turn her stereo down? Like, what is she doing? Yeah. And so I think there's ways where it's like we have these desires, right, that we can't really change. And the point is to not change them. Like you said, like... The things that repulse you the most are sometimes like the most powerful charging experiences of your life. And so then I kind of found this way where it's like, like, yes, I'm I'm not going to rape anybody. Like, I, I know the rules. I it's not like and that's that isn't even attractive to me. Like, that's not the right. the fantasy that I have. But like the fantasy is getting people to do things that they don't want to do and so in or kind of like imposing myself on them in this way and so I found these like fun little hacks um that now I can pretty much honestly say that I don't feel shame about any sexual fantasy I have ever ever at all no matter how weird it is no matter how twisted it is no matter what um and that I generally just don't feel shame in that way I do sometimes feel shame but I feel like it's like internet culture stuff that makes me feel a little bit of shame for not being like a good enough liberal or something (laughs) I'm like god that's the only thing I feel shame about anymore these days but like everything else is pretty much um yeah like I feel like I just have found ways that I'm like it's fun like you can like there are little things you can do to like make your life more spicy every day anyway (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I've i always really enjoyed, I feel like I inherited this from my father. My dad's gay, uh, so I mm-hmm. definitely grew up with, like, a unique father figure type of person. Um, and he had a very sort of, like, unconventional path where he sort of knew he was gay, or at least bisexual, but then still chose to marry my mom, who knew he'd fucked guys, and then they had kids, and then mm-hmm. eventually he was just like, actually, I'm, like, 100% gay, like, can't do this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But I will always tell people, like, oh my dad's gay and their first question is always like did he know he was gay before he got married like sort of wanting to like neatly fit this stuff into boxes Mm. and like both of us just love so much either saying something or like leaving certain things out or just like watching someone squirm in their like not getting it and like you just see their brain like and I think you know I and I think going back to the conversation we were having before too it's like I don't, us all living in this little, like, squeaky clean bubble where, like, nobody triggers anyone and everyone's just, like, calm and safe and comfortable all the time. It's, like, how do we grow? How do we evolve as a species or in our personal lives if we don't, like, like, there's so much we don't know, you know? It's the same of, like, moving toward our, Mm -hmm. our kinks. It's, like... There's so much we don't know about ourselves or what we're capable of or what relationships we could possibly be having or like ways that we could evolve as fucking humanity mm-hmm. if we just sort of stay there and like don't.
3: Totally. And it that's. At all. A, that is also why I intentionally don't use trigger warnings on my page as well because when. When I'm triggered, I get so happy. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, I'm yeah. being triggered. Oh, ooh, what's that feeling? <laughs> oh, what's that burning in my stomach? Ooh, yeah. something must be upsetting me. And yeah. it's just like, it's so fun because I'm like, okay, well, why is this upsetting me? Like, we should, and, and there are some things that are just like, like the QAnon stuff I told you about, like that is just so beyond triggering to me that it does nothing good for me. Like, there's no amount of growth in there. It's just like, it's not up to me to change everybody's idea of what child sex trafficking can look like. Um, and in that way, I just stay away from it. Yeah. And and it's my thing. And so then it's like, I see somebody like post a video or something. I'm like, I'm not going to watch that today. Like I don't need to go down that road, whatever. But for the most part, like everything else, like I love getting triggered because I think it just, yeah, it is that catalyst for growth. And like, if I would have, you know, when I played, with this guy with the daddy thing for the first time, if I would have just been like, uh ah, no, I'm not going to do that again. Cause I was too triggered. Like I would have missed out on like a super important, really meaningful part of my life. And, and actually what's I'm like, Oh Jesus, I'm saying a lot on this show, but whatever. <laughs> um, the first time I got paid money for sex was also incredibly triggering for me. And it was, and it actually wasn't the money that was the triggering part. He just humiliated me. And that's not my kink. Like, I'm a good girl through and through. Like, I do not want to be a bad girl. Don't be mean to me. Um, But it was so triggering afterwards, and I didn't do it again for a long time. Um, And then later on, came back to sex work in, like, a totally different capacity, and it was also one of the most meaningful, life-changing experiences of my life, like learning boundaries, learning how to tell men no, learning how to tell men to touch me in the way that I like to be touched. Like, I never did that before sex work (laughs) so it's kind of these things where it's like things can trigger you in the beginning and like and you can sit with that for a while like you don't necessarily have to like hop right back on the horse afterwards but yeah I find that if something is deeply triggering to you like there's some there's some juiciness there to pick up
0: yeah yeah I'd love to talk about the whole sort of inspired by the the good girl comment I talk a lot about this like bizarre I don't know thing I've always had in my life where, like, even if I wasn't actually, like, growing up promiscuous or, like, having lots of sex or actually being super slutty, for as long as I can remember, everyone could, like, smell sex on me. Like, I just felt like I was very, (laughs) like, like, I just had, like, sex written on my chest or, like, whatever, like, you know, girls would, like, stop being friends with me and call me a slut, like, far before I'd ever even done anything sexual. It was just, like, the energy I was giving off, the way that I was sexually embodied. Um... And it was confusing because I feel like it felt so authentic, especially in a way where like, I wasn't really sure who I was or what I wanted for a long time, or didn't feel like I had the right to be who I was. But that thing was like Mm -hmm. the constant force of like my um, intimacy with sex, my like desire for sex, like the way that I like sex, Mm -hmm. the way that I'm not afraid of it, the way that I'm not ashamed of it. Um, That felt like, pure and sacred, which are maybe to most people, weird words. Um, and then of (laughs) course, like, like as I, you know, grew up and started like learning about archetypes and like, you know, the sacred prostitute and all of these things, I was like, Oh, okay. Like the problem is, is not that I'm for whatever reason associating sex with spirituality or sacredness. It's just that like our culture doesn't understand that, (laughs) but that, way prior to like capitalist patriarchal judeo-christian religious cultures that was a real thing um and i know a lot of the work you do is very spiritual in nature so i would love if you could sort of talk about that part of it a little bit
3: yeah so um so, yeah, I will say most of my kinks are definitely very based off of my environment. Like, I feel like the only one I was really born with was, like, the women suffering thing. <laughs> but everything else <laughs> has come. I'm like, I think I was born with it. But everything else has come through my environment, through experiences I've had. Like, and, and not all kinks are like that. Some people are just like, I have no idea why I'm into feet. But I am, and I have been for as long as I can remember. But for me, all of my kinks have, like, a very, very particular like beginning place or like a moment or a thing and so and they change over time too so um like I feel like the good girl thing for me is definitely like I was also um a super sexual kid was also like always kind of fooling around with other girls my age as well like very experimental I started masturbating at a super young age and and I could have an orgasm. So I was like, oh my God, everyone, I figured out this thing and I have to tell all my friends
0: about it because it's amazing. I was like drawing so, pictures of like dicks. I was like, I would go and Google yeah. and be like, I don't know. I've never like touched one before, but like, this is what it looks like. This is how you give a blowjob. Look at this.
3: Exactly. Oh, thank God our friends had us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so that became. And then with my trauma and then I was also like slut shamed. I was like the school whore um, also. And so it was like this thing of like, I'm a bad girl. I'm a bad girl. Like you're bad. You're a bad person. You're a bad girl. You're fucked up. No one's going to want to be with you, whatever. So I had this kind of thing, and this was like my story that really just weighed me down. And then I kind of reclaimed it in my 20s, and I was like, yeah, I fucking am bad. Like, look at how bad I am. I'm kinky, I'm weird, I don't give a fuck. Um, And then it's funny, in the past few years, I'm like... I actually just want to be good (laughs) in in the bedroom, at least in the bedroom. I'm like in real life, if you talk to me like 24 seven bad girl. So I think I'm just like, I want to role play and pretend that I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Pretend that I'm innocent and just sweet. And like, um, And it's kind of that whole thing where it's like, if you ask any dominatrix, like they have these CEO clients who are in charge of like thousands of people who love to get the shit kicked out of them because they want to feel like meaningless or nothing or like lose that control. So all my kinks have kind of like evolved in that way. Um, And my newest one, which is kind of my most favorite right now, um, is my rejection kink that I'm starting to get, like, just at this point in my life, so it's like, um, I feel like for most of my life, because I was, like, the slutty bad girl, like, I could mostly fuck whoever I wanted. And it became this thing to where, like, no one really told me no. And all of a sudden, as I'm getting older, there was this moment where I was, like, going to meet up with an ex-lover in San Francisco for dinner, and he was like, hey, just so you know, like I have a girlfriend and like I'm kind of trying to be good. And I was like, oh my God, of course, like no big deal. Nope, no, nope, don't worry about me. It's fine. Yeah. So we go have dinner together. There's tons of sexual tension, of course. And I go home and it's no big deal. Then two weeks later, I have the most insane sex dream I've ever had in my life. And it was basically him just like looking at his watch and being like, oh God, I mean, I just don't have time today to have sex. Like I, I totally would, but like I just... Uh, it, it's too much for my schedule. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so hot. <laughs> so, so now I'm like evolving into this whole thing of like, of like the hottest, like, cause I've tried all the shit. I've done all the things. Like the hottest thing I could possibly do is not do it. <laughs> and so, so yeah. that's been kind of my strange adult kink that is popping up where I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And how it kind of, relates to spirituality and, um, what I think is really important as well. So I think, so I will say, this is my disclaimer, um, is that because of our conditioning, and this is just Western culture, like Eastern culture has a whole other relationship with sacred sexuality, but, um, because of kind of the Judeo-Christian, um, kind of, Framework. Paradigm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, She like yeah. sees my hands. I'm yeah. like, eh. uh, framework. Yes. Yeah. Because of the Judeo-Christian framework that we are brought up within was like, oh, you have to wait until marriage. Sex is a sacred thing. Mm, so yeah. I think in a lot of ways with kind of a lot of what you see on, and I'll just, let me just trash everybody's Instagram. A lot of what you see in kind of the sacred sexuality realm on Instagram is very much like If you read into a lot of it, they're kind of saying Judeo-Christian principles on a lot of stuff. Like, like there's a popular idea right now that's like, um, you know, and these are on sex positive accounts where they're like, well, you know, if you're sleeping, like if you're sleeping with someone in a one night stand, like that's not conscious sex and that's not sacred. And you're giving them your energy Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep. Oh, Seen it. hell <laughs> no.
5: Yeah. Oh, hell no. That yeah. is not
3: where we are going right now. And so, yeah. so it's interesting to me on how this kind of like, like, yes, I do work a lot with sacred sexuality, but my biggest cornerstone with sacred sexuality is um, you are the one that gets to decide what is sacred or mm-hmm. not. And what decides what is, what decides whether or not something is sacred is your intention. If you have the intention that you're going to make somebody bleed and they're cool with that and that's also their intention, that is sacred. Um, if you meet somebody and you have this fucking incredible one-night stand and it feels like, or maybe it's sloppy, whatever, but you're like, that was fucking sacred for me because I just got broken up with two months ago and I really fucking needed that. Like, that's sacred. Um, So I think a lot of the kind of sacred sexuality realm, especially what we're seeing on the internet, on Instagram is kind of this reframing of Judeo-Christian values Mm. in a lot of ways. So that's something that I really try to stay away from. Um, But it's like, it does help us (laughs) because we all have this fucking Christian guilt, which is funny because I was not even raised religiously. So Mm. that's where I get pissed Cause I'm like, my parents even saw this shit and they're like, we're not going to put her through it. Society's like, Oh, don't worry. We got you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll fuck her up. Don't worry. We got it. We got it. So, um, so it's like, whether you were raised religiously or not, like you're, you know, kind of going back to the trauma thing. Like we are all kind of traumatized in this way from our Judeo-Christian framework, um, from our society. Right. But we all kind of want like, and I think that's, That's where like really the crux of my work is. It's like, yeah, I want you to accept yourself and I want you to accept all of the fucked up shit that goes through your head, all the fantasies, all the things, whatever. But I also want you to have meaningful sex and knowing that you don't have to package it as something that's sacred, I'm doing air quotes, sacred, mm-hmm. in order to have meaningful sex, in order to have, like, a meaningful connection to your body. Like, if you feel like sex has to be sacred in order for you to not feel guilty about that, that is just your Judeo-Christian programming.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is. Mic it, drop. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I do. I have seen that, too, the you know, of course the, the sacred sexuality or meaningful sex in my mind is so not within that framework. I mean, if any, I was raised at Mm -hmm. all, it was Judaism, which was thankfully like a lot less intense in that respect. Oh, amazing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's true. I have seen a lot of like quote unquote sort of more, even people who are like a little bit more controversial in their feelings about like, you know, dominance and submission and power and, like, feminine yeah. and masculine. It's, like – and then but then they go into the whole, like, I don't let anyone – you know, it's this energetic thing and, like, I don't let anyone touch my energy and all this, like – Yeah. It's, like, uh, I don't know. And actually like- one of my
4: favorite
3: um, – one of my favorite practices that we have in Coven is I call it the banishing the demons from your pussy exercise, <laughs> which is basically, like, you are – in, and this is why I like witchcraft. This is why I'm, like – Tantra is not my thing. Like, my work is t- tantric in nature, but
4: mm-hmm.
3: I, what I do is not tantra. It is witchcraft. It is basically, like, I get to decide everything. Like, I am crafting my own reality. I am. Um, I have my own boundaries. And so that was something that I definitely held a lot of because I had had sex with so many people that I was like, oh, this makes me bad. This makes me dirty. This makes me loose, used up, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was this really powerful moment when I did this ritual where this woman was like, yeah, you're just gonna say it. You don't want any of that there anymore. And I'm like, what? You can just say it. You can just say like, get the fuck out of my pussy. And she's like, yeah, say it. And I'm like, get the fuck out of my pussy. And It was just like done. And I yeah. felt like, Oh my God, all of this weight lifted off my shoulders. Like I felt like I had to carry all of this weight around my whole life of being this like dirty slut. But I'm like, no, if like, it's, you're in charge of this. Like, and again, kind of like the healing process, right? Like you are in charge of your own body. Like things that happened to you were not your fault. But like, if you want to clear this shit out of there energetically, like you have the power to do that. Yeah. When everyone has the power to do that.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, switching gears slightly ish, maybe about your relationships with women, not like necessarily romantic or sexual, just like, Mm -hmm. being a woman I feel like we have similar energy I was always sort of like way more comfortable with boys just because I was like I talk about sex like a guy like I don't know how to interact with like the, the female population and I've done a lot of work on myself to like I don't know, recognize my own like internalized misogyny and maybe how like my relationship Mm -hmm. with my mom played into my relationship with women. But I'm curious how you've navigated that space of being like a (laughs) woman who might be slightly different than other. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God.
3: I love this question because (laughs) I totally was one of those girls um, in school that was like, I'm not friends with girls because, like, I'm only friends with guys. They're so dramatic. And I'm, like, also a Leo Moon, so I'm, like, literally the most dramatic person ever. Like, I'm, like, one of those people that's, like, no drama. And then, like, I'm so dramatic. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I didn't really have any friends growing up because of um, the person that I was or whatever. And so I became a very isolated a lonely person in a lot of ways and, and almost in this way that was like, like, f- like fuck everybody else. Like I don't need them. Um, I don't need anybody. So even with men, like I didn't like, I would, I would have re- like friendships with boys, I guess, but even then they would kind of be mean to me and make fun of me. And I was like, you know, fuck all of you guys. Like I don't fucking need anybody. And so, but actually it was interesting. Like then I would get in relationships with somebody and it became whole everything because it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a life outside of the relationship. (laughs) So then like, you know, we get into kind of like abusive toxic dynamics because it's like this relationship was all I had. Um, And so then, and I had two good friends that I kind of met in high school that have stayed my good friends, which has been incredible. And it's funny, like as they kind of saw my journey and like doing this work online and like the sex, witch, like a lot of people are like, God, it's so hard to explain to all my friends from like high school and college, like what I'm doing. And all my friends were like, Oh, thank God you're finally <laughs> doing this. Like you finally are accepting the, like you, have you are the person we've seen this whole time. Right. Like now you're the one that sees it. And I'm like, Oh shit. I didn't even think about that. Um, But yeah, so I definitely have, I feel like in a lot of ways, like my coping mechanism for kind of being like bullied in school was just to be like the chillest dude ever. Like I am going to be the chillest dude. Like you don't even know how chill I am. Like I even say dude and man and like, it's cool, dude. What's whatever, man. Like ch calm down. Like, like I basically just adapted the Southern California dude chill lifestyle. <laughs> and it's funny because it makes me like, really disarming to other people and they don't like really expect that from me um And so, yeah, my kind of like journey with femininity has been really interesting in that way because I actually do love being a woman. Like it's, it is something that I enjoy. Like it's, it's fun. Like, and of course I like the power of it. Like, you're not surprised. Like, I'm just like, oh, I love being a woman because I can fucking control the shit out of everybody around me just with my boobs. Like it's amazing. Um, But, um, but then there's also this part of me that like really rejected femininity as well and kind of adapted this like very kind of what I think of as very masculine, um, kind of way of moving throughout the world. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like, even like my ex for, ex, like, even in relationships, like, they're just like, Oh my God, like you're more of a guy than I am sometimes, <laughs> and like, very, yeah. but then, um, but yeah, I've also found it super incredibly healing to, to have these relationships with women. And like, so it was funny. I started doing, so I was always kind of a loner. I had a few friends. Um, and then I started doing sex work because, you know, I just got, I just understood men in this way. And then I just started hanging out with men all the time. And I'm like, wow, you guys are really annoying. I'm going to, st- I need some female friends in my life. Like I need some lady friends. And like I was in Oakland, so it's like lots of, you know, everyone on the spectrum, trans, non-binary, queer, like all of it. And yeah, it just became this like really incredible thing. But what's funny is that, and kind of, I liked how you talked about your relationship with your mom. So my mom is also a super intense, crazy person, and very misogynistic. Like, it, oh, so funny. Like, whenever anything bad was happening, if anyone was ever giving me shits, she's like, "It's because they, they're jealous of you," and like, blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Yeah, fuck that fat bitch or whatever." Like, just and now I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like, because I just went on like a I went on like a road trip with her. And just hearing her misogyny just, like, the whole time, I'm like, oh, my God, no wonder I was, oh, yeah, I can see a lot of how I was raised in that. That's interesting. Um, But, yeah, so now most most of my women friends are, like, really strong women, and I feel like it's very much, like, this kind of copy of my mother in this way that I'm, like, really working through my relationship with her through my relationships with women. And yeah. so, yeah, a lot of my friends are dominatrixes. And and even though I'm not one, I just love hanging out with them because I'm like, oh, yeah. they just tell me what to do. They always know the plan. <laughs> like, they're really in control. Like, they got it. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's funny. I just saw you posted something on Instagram. I, I think I read this properly that you shaved your armpits for
3: the first time in like many many years. <laughs> and it's interesting. Well, so I would. Yeah, oh yeah. Ahead. You go. Go go um, so go. I, I would shave them like here and there, yeah, but like yeah. but yeah, as keeping you, them shaved like it's been a thing. Yeah. So I
0: I I've same. I've like I've also I was always super masculine, like just very in touch with my masculinity. I feel like I was definitely unknowingly moving through the world in a very masculine way. And then I went through this like serious dark night of the soul in my late twenties where I like came to terms with all my childhood shit and was just like fuck Mm -hmm. and changed my whole life and all this stuff. And, um, I started, like, getting even more in touch with my masculinity and I stopped shaving my armpits and, like, was wearing baggy clothes and, like, shooting arrows and all this stuff. And I went into therapy and I was, like, all proud of myself because I was, like, I'm strong and, like, I'm doing all this stuff. And she basically, like, flat out was, like, well, like, how does this relate to your relationship with your mother? I was just, like, fuck me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I hate you, but I love you. (laughs) Yeah, and it was, but it was an interesting thing. Like, I think I grew out my armpit hair because I, first of all, had never done that before. I was just, like, okay, I'd like, like. Like mm-hmm. to know what it's like to not shave. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't super like it wasn't necessarily a part of my identity. I was just sort of doing it like for fun. Yes. And then when I shaved it, it was like around the same time that I was starting to see a guy again. And then that was like this weird feminist accusatory shit coming at me like yes. but I was like why is it why is it not okay that I would like shave my armpits for someone else like I don't really care like this isn't I'm not so tied to this yes. but I'm just curious what your journey if you like oh my god so
3: that. literally the same so this is why I always joke with my friends that I am the most annoying feminist in the world like I don't even identify as one anymore because yeah. it just pisses people yeah. off so like I'm, uh, so for me, the only reason I stopped shaving my armpits was one, I was lazy and I didn't want to do it anymore. Like it was just annoying. And two, I thought it looked hot. Like I thought it looked exotic. I thought it was something sexy and different. Like, and people are like, wow, good for you, man, for really standing up for women." I'm like, I'm not standing up for anybody. Like I'm trying to get people to hit on me because of this. What are you talking about? And, um, and so it's like the same thing. (laughs) So that's why. Especially, the um, like, I love being catcalled. That's also my other, like, thing. Uh. It's like, (laughs) oh, my God. I love it so much. Like, some days I don't, right? And some people are a little weird about it. For for the most part, like, 90% of the time, like, I'm very into it. And I have to, like, try to keep my face straight, too, and be like especially in new york i'm like i'm just walking and i'm like trying not to smile and they're like "Ooh, you're smiling and i'm like stop making me smile oh my God. but um but yeah so in that way like like my like yeah to me things with beauty and and same with my tattoos right i have all these tattoos and people are like what do they mean? Like, what's the meaning? And I'm like, they just look good. Like, that's the only reason why I like them. Like, i just, I'm just a shallow bitch on the inside. You guys, like like, there's not a whole lot under the surface when it comes to like my body and stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel you. And, and also like, I don't know that that shallowness isn't necessarily a bad thing. I have a a guy friend here who I, like we we hang out with him. Like, he's like over. He's just part of our family. He's over here all the time, and he's mm-hmm. hilarious. He's in his late forties, but has clearly lived like a very unfortunate, like sheltered life as a, as it relates to relationships <laughs> and sexuality. And he just kind of does his own thing. And he was, like, struggling immensely the other day to admit that, like, he can't have a relationship with a woman unless he's physically attracted to them. And I was like, that is not a controversial statement, dude. But the fact that, like, that's the world we live in, he's like, I really like looking at chicks in bathing suits. I'm like, me too! Yes! Yes! yes. Keep going! Let's go! It's just weird. So weird. Um, Yeah. So, okay, so your Instagram got deleted. Now it's back. Before we wrap up, Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what like where you think you're going to go from here, how you think that area of your life is going to change and whether that area of your life like affects other areas of your life. Yeah. Just sort of like,
3: yeah. So it's, I don't want to spiritualize a shitty thing, um, but I am going to anyway. So (laughs) I feel like there was this stuff when COVID started happening where people are like, you know, this is the big moment. We're going to evolve humanity. And other people are like, stop trying to spiritualize shitty random events. And I'm like, I will spiritualize whatever the fuck I want because it just makes me feel better about life. (laughs) (laughs) It's purely for myself. But but yeah, so it actually I think has turned out to be one of the best things that's ever happened to me, honestly. Um, And in this way that I felt – yeah, I think because I had built my business off of my trauma and my suffering – I felt stuck with it. Like as, you know, as we were kind of talking about trauma and like the nature of it is to kind of make peace with it, heal it, integrate it, move past it in some capacity, right? Like I had built my business on staying traumatized. And so I started to feel just like really stuck with what I was posting. I was like, Oh, I just kind of want to talk about, um, things to deal more with, yeah, like our unconscious, our perceptions of things, like challenging our thoughts and our biases, like a lot of what you do on here, which I think is so incredible. Like I'm so honored to be on here. Um, but yeah, so I kind of see my work evolving more in that way, partially self-preservation because I just don't want to get fucking deleted again. And no. it's just like, to me, if if I need to kind of cut a lot of the way that I was talking about sex Um, from my business, like, I'll do that. (laughs) Because it's just like you said, it's your business, it's your livelihood, like, you know, what can you do? But also, I think, kind of in my own personal journey as well, like I I quit doing sex work about five months ago, Um, I'm kind of focusing all on this online business. And like, sex is really not as much of my identity anymore and so I think it's really interesting when we kind of create these personal brands which are essentially brands based off of ourselves like it's the ultimate um like millennial narcissistic thing right yeah. like I fucking love it it's so funny like it's funny but like also true um where I'm like yeah it's just my life pay me <laughs> but, um but but in that way that it's like we create these personal brands but then as humans, you know, it's in our nature to continue evolving. And so, yeah, it feels like I'm kind of in this really interesting space right now of just like honoring where I've come from and how that journey has shaped so much of what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. but also to keep pushing forward and to also honor that and know that it's like, if something, and, and I mean, it's funny. I like Made this whole thing about how, like, I'm not going to talk about sex on Instagram anymore. And then, like, half the shit I posted yesterday was sex. So it's like, <laughs> like you said, I've got sex written on my chest. Like, it's yeah. not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I feel like it's one of those things that, um, yeah, like I just want to keep going a little deeper instead of just kind of staying on that surface level of, like, hey, all orgasms are valid. It's cool if you cry when you come. I've done it before. But now, kind of evolving to, like, well, what is your relationship to orgasm? Like, what does that even, what does that even come from? Where, how do you feel afterwards? Like, how do you feel before? Like, like more about like, what's your desire? Like, what about longing? Like things like that, that feel just like a little deeper and Mm -hmm. having those kind of underlying conversations that are more like our relationship to our bodies instead of this kind of um, more, just like, yeah, you got this. You're good. Which I mean, amazing. I love I love the positivity on Instagram. We all need it. But but yeah, so that's kind of the trajectory that I see. More kind of shadowy, um, more kind of like, yeah, embracing. Like like I really want to do a work. I don't know if I'm going to do it. Well, now I guess I have to because I'm going to talk about it. But um, I really want to do a workshop on toxicity next year, which is like, like embracing your toxicness Mm. and just like knowing that like everybody is toxic deep down and that it's like it's fine and that the more we kind of just but not in a way that's like oh yeah I'm toxic let's just let it do whatever flow into the world yeah but in this way of like acknowledging it and not trying so hard to be good because I feel like when we try so hard to be perfectly good um that's where a lot of the friction comes and that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of Wow. Surprisingly toxic behavior develops so. <laughs>
0: yeah, Amazing. Um, okay. So, uh, let everyone know where they can find you on the internet. Yes. Um, and then so, also um, I ask everyone that I have on the show, if they could recommend one book and you can choose more than one, if you want, um, that shit. was really influential or meaningful for you in your life. What was it?
3: Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay all right so um, where you can find me so on Instagram I'm at Lenore Black underscore. Um, I also have a backup account on there so go ahead and follow that as well just in case <laughs> And um, my website is lenoreblack.com and I think that's most of my social stuff. Um, oh I also have a um, erotic self-care, download that kind of takes you through like my favorite rituals so definitely sign up for that as well I think it's in my link um, on Instagram but it's totally free and then yeah okay so a book that I recommend um it's kind of popular right now so maybe someone's talked about it before but um Existential Kink have you heard about it?
0: I haven't you're the first one that's mentioned it
3: (laughs) Oh man. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. So Carolyn Elliott, you would like her too. She's also kind of likes pushing people's boundaries. Like she says things that I don't always agree with, which I think is amazing. Like I love following people that say shit sometimes where I'm like, Oh my God, she went there like, wow. Um, so yeah, so she's kind of a polarizing person with heads up, but, um, but yeah, so the book is existential kink and it basically, it's funny. Cause I feel like I was doing this in my work just with the sexual realm, but she kind of takes it into the realm of the everyday of like, um, you know, we all have kind of going back to these victim consciousness stories. Like we all have these stories about like, I'm always broke. Like I'm just broke. I'm meant to be broke forever. That's just who I am. Like I can never get out of poverty. And her book kind of goes into like, well, Maybe there's some kinky weird little part of you that actually enjoys being broke. You mm-hmm. love struggling for money every month. You love not knowing where <laughs> your next paycheck is coming from like. And yeah. so that was like totally revolutionary. Um so I feel like yeah, it's good for like kind of these little blocks in life. Like it's less it's less sexy than it sounds, more just kind of like really really fun way to do self-help and I'm all about getting off so
0: <laughs> yeah that sounds awesome I will definitely check that out thank you
3: <laughs> um, but
0: yeah thank you for coming on the show this was fun I'd love to do it again sometime I feel like
3: yes we oh have my a god thank you so much for having me world views. <laughs> <laughs> yes totally oh, thank you so much yeah that was fun
0: hello there listeners thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation I am going to play you out today with an amazing song. It's called The Cult of Dionysus, and it's a part, actually both Warm Animal that I played at the beginning of the podcast and this one is on my most recent playlist that I offered to my patrons uh, that I called Sex Cult because like, I just like triggering people, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you'll all enjoy the songs on that playlist if you're interested that plus other perks are available at patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Um, but while I was making that playlist, I came across this song and I just couldn't stop laughing and couldn't stop listening to it and felt like if my life was turned into like a superhero cartoon, that this would definitely be the theme song. Um, I feel like it's just going to become the theme, some theme song of my weird life. So enjoy. If you would like to participate in my astrology course, please go to patreon.com slash Anya Am I being repetitive yet? And uh, sign up at the $5 a month rebel level. You'll get access to that plus much more. Um, and while you're there, check out what's available in the other tiers as well, in case you would like to join in and become, um, more a part of this intimate community of fucking weirdos. Love you guys. Talk to you next time.
5: Yesterday I heard you say You're lost, but life has gone away It got me thinking I think I feel a similar way I'm Let's get this GBS and polyamorous. Poly- wash those tears away you're young and beautiful and the love of you always